Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our friends, former guests, and industry pals. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Today, we're chatting with a regular on the show. We brought him back. He's a lit manager and producer who's worked at William Morris, UTA, and part of the Hollywood gang at Warner Brothers. Um, he actually has a client, uh, Johnny Pereira, who has a new film coming out called Miss Sloan, starring Jessica Chastain, which premieres November 25th and is already getting lots of Oscar buzz. We're going to chat with him about it because he was with the project. He has seen it from the beginning, the inception, all the way to its release on November 25th. And he's been part of that. He's been shepherding the whole process. And he is Mr. Scott Carr. He's Canadian. He's awesome. And he's one of my favorite people in the biz. Oh, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you inviting me back. Yeah, no, it's, it's always great to have you on, Scott. Um, you, we were actually talking earlier. You actually have the number one podcast on our site. I, I can't believe it, but I'm I'm deeply privileged and honored. That's great to hear. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so we're here to talk about. I want to talk to you about Miss Sloan. I want to find out everything. Johnny Pereira, your client, has an amazing story. Um, uh, so let's start off at the very beginning. Um, Johnny's story. Miss Sloan, how it came to you, and then that whole sort of inception phase, and, and because you know as well as I, probably better than I do, how hard it is, one, to get a movie made, mm-hmm. but also as a writer with not, not a lot of, of resources and connections and, and um, a, a network, so to speak, to sort of break in, one, and two, t- to get a movie made. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, let's just start off with, with, with Johnny's story and how he came to you and how you came to find Miss Sloan and all that kind of, of stuff. Of course, yeah. I, I think Johnny's story is one of those Cinderella stories, actually, that you think doesn't happen anymore in this town um, because it just came together so quickly and in such a wonderful way. But actually, you know, I functioned, I guess, as a conduit for him to the industry, but his story starts even before me, which I think also speaks to his resourcefulness and his instincts about how to approach the process of writing the script and trying to get it to Hollywood. Because Johnny, um, prior to even being a professional screenwriter, was um, uh, a corporate lawyer, and he was uh, living in the UK, and he he grew up in a, in a, in a lower-class region of of London, in which he knew at a very young age he needed to probably figure out the academia of his life in order to kind of buy his way out of that lifestyle because it was just kind of his upbringing. And so he um, ended up going to law school and became a, um, a bar certified attorney in both London and Asia and also in the New York bar, which he never practiced. But after a couple of years of working as a corporate lawyer, 100 hours a week at very little pay, he started to realize that this isn't a fulfilling job. So what he actually did, which actually isn't, now that I think about it, it's not dissimilar to kind of Elizabeth Sloan's character in the film. He worked um, a couple of years long enough just to pay off his six-figure student loan debt. Mm -hmm. And then after paying off that last bit of debt, he then just saved a little bit of money and turned his back on his law profession, which he'd spent the last several years building toward, and decided he wanted to try to figure out a career that could truly make him happy, for lack of a better term. And that's when he decided he just wanted to travel, get out of London, 
He traveled for several years around Europe and Asia. He landed in China, started teaching English at a university just to pay the bills, still not quite figuring out exactly what he wanted to do for a paid career yet, but he was indirectly filling himself up with life experiences and learning other language and other cultures. And then when he was 29 or 30, a couple of years ago, he landed in South Korea and started teaching English to elementary school students to pay the bills. He's kind of like a British expat being paid through his apartment and a stipend. And mm -hmm. that enabled him just to survive. And that's when he started to realize he really wanted to figure out what it was he ultimately wanted to do. So he actually, he's very pragmatic and mindful of how to figure something out. So he put together a list of all the things that he genuinely enjoys doing. And at the top of that list were, um, were movies and writing. Hmm. And because he'd done some writing just casually, like in his diary and writing stories as a kid, but never professionally. He'd never taken a screenwriting class in his life. He'd never read a book. He hadn't done any of that, but he thought maybe he'd give it a go. And, um, and that's actually when he, once he planted that seed in his mind of the possibility of maybe writing a screenplay, he started to then pay more attention to what could be the basis for a great story. And when he had seen an online interview with uh, an infamous lobbyist named Jack Abranoff, who's an American lobbyist who ended up going to jail for his unethical lobbying practices, um, that was a really compelling piece of material for Johnny, that character story, that world of lobbying. We haven't really seen the people behind the politicians that often pull the strings. And Johnny was a big fan of political material, be it the West Wing and Aaron mm -hmm. Sorkin. So once he had his way in, he thought, you know, this might be a story I want to tell, but he also had never really had any formal training in screenwriting. So all he took more of the Tarantino approach, which is I didn't go to film school, I went to films. He didn't study screenwriting, he just read scripts. Right. Which he found, and this was several years ago when he was, when, when like Script Shadow actually posted screen, like development screenplays or like copywritten screenplays mm -hmm. online before they're taken down. And um, one thing he told me that was really interesting, I thought very smart, is he would, he would read the first 60 pages of a script before work. Then he would go to work, and during the day he would think about how he would end oh, the script. And then he'd go home at night and he'd read the last half and see how well he did to see if his mind was naturally fitting into structure and, and, and just the kind of the storytelling acumen to finish a story cinematically, paying things off. And uh, once he felt he had a handle on the craft, and after doing several months of research on, on um, lobbying and DC and, and uh, American um, issues that he felt could function as a debate for the lobbying cause, then he sat down to write the first draft. This is all before I knew him, obviously, mm -hmm. to write the first draft of Miss Sloan, which, you know, I think after the research, he wrote it relatively quickly, about a couple months. And then he put this script in a drawer, assuming it would just be a writing exercise that he'd have no, no one would ever see the first script he ever wrote. He didn't know if it was any good. He didn't have anyone he could share it with. He was living in South Korea. Most people didn't even speak English. Mm -hmm. So, so then he thought he would just go off and start writing other screenplays, things that were maybe more commercial, more conceptual, sure. less controversial. And, but it was during that time, outlining new ideas that he came across, cause he was, you know, tracking Hollywood news through the internet. 
he um, he read in I think Variety that Harvey Weinstein wanted to make a movie about the NRA with Meryl Streep in the in the lead. Hmm. And I actually remember that article like years back coming out as well when I read about it here. And uh, but then that made Johnny think well. If they, if Harvey Weinstein thinks it's a viable idea, I have that script on my hard drive. It's now or never. Right. I have to figure out how to get this to LA to see if someone would want to make this or consider it to be any good. So now he had to go through that process of how do I access, you know, this impenetrable town that is Hollywood that's very relationship centric and who you know mm -hmm. and you know a lot of people have to move here and start on the ground floor and build a relationship get a referral to get a representative or a producer and whatnot and Johnny did not have access to any of that given he was 6,000 miles away so what he did is he actually he turned to the previous year's blacklist the official list and he went through and he looked at all the top ranking scripts and he read several of them looking for material that seemed to share a sensibility to his script and his own writing, his own voice. And then to basically try to hone in on representatives he thought may respond to this script that he wrote about this female lobbyist, kind of a maverick in DC that right. goes up against the gun lobby head on. And um, I happened to be on the list that year with a number of other people, obviously. But he went, to, he got an INDB account and he he went on and see and try to see how many um excuse me how to see how many email addresses he could find online and i was one of those people and he just sent out individualized blind query letters basically soliciting people to read this script sure now some things he did very smartly which again speaks to his instincts about the way the industry works before he was even here having not read a book on how to send a query letter or any of that stuff is um, not to mention it was very well written and on point and succinct, but he didn't, he didn't mention the query letter that he's British living in South Korea. <laughs> right. That would have been a red flag right. for most people, including myself. And I'm so grateful he did not include that because that might have went into my delete file right away. Right. And, uh, you know, just the subject matter, the way he framed it, female protagonist that was very much left to center when it came to the kind of roles I think that women are actually really offered in this town. Um, so, you know, I just accepted the query, you know, honestly, just thinking it was probably just going to be another random script for an unvetted writer that I, you know, was probably going to read a few pages and then, you know, say thank you, but no thank you and go on with my business. Um, and admittedly, because I get a fair amount of queries, I don't have time to read most of them. It's, it's sat in my inbox for several weeks. Um, and then one evening, very late. I have a tendency between 11 and 3 a.m. to really get my creative juices flowing and the patience to actually sit down and really read something more thoughtfully because of the busyness of the day it makes it hard to do that. Um, I decided to scroll through my query letter folder and came across this script that Johnny had sent to me. At the time it was, it was a different title. And, um, and I said, oh yeah, I wanted to read this one. And I started reading it. And by the time I got to page 10, I was so hooked by the quality of the writing and the craft. And I kind of felt like I had been queried by Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> like just the, the colloquial dialogue and the pace of it and the characterizations were already popping. And actually like that first page that I read in Johnny's first draft two and a half years ago and the first minute of the script of the movie 
are unchanged. Hmm. Like never, not yeah, a word was changed. It was happen, like, yeah. it was, it really stuck in. Like it, it ends up being a very big plant for a big reveal in the movie, but mm-hmm. it ended up, you know, just proving a testament to Johnny's instinct as a writer and a storyteller. And um, so when I read this script, it, like, I, you know, I expected to read five pages, but by like, of course I'm reading the whole darn thing in the middle of the night. And I don't know if he sent this query to a hundred people and if people have gotten back to him, because I took several weeks to read it, for right. all I know, it's moot at this point for me. So I had just wrote up like a, a, what I thought was a very effusive and cogent email about how much I responded to his writing and the script itself, and fired it, fired it off, saying we should grab a coffee if you're in town. Mm-hmm. And he just, and that's what he responded back. And, and thanked me and said that he was a Brit living in South Korea. <laughs> and of course my eyes roll a little bit. I'm like, oh my goodness. You coughed up your coffee yeah, that morning. Big, big red flag. I'm like, oh no, he doesn't have citizenship. He doesn't have a work visa, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, so, so I said no problem because I was hooked by the script and we had a Skype. But I kind of said to myself as well, like I hope that you know, he checks off all of those boxes that I think are so important, ideally, for writers. He's articulate, and he's smart, and he's easygoing, and he's good in a room, so to speak, at least in this case, virtually. And fortunately for me, like, you know, he just checked off all of those boxes. When I sat down with him over Skype, and we had this great hour-long conversation, you know, after his work day, because of the 16-hour time difference, and... Um, and I ultimately had said to him, I think you're a rock star and I think your script is fantastic. I think the relevancy here, and this is two and a half years ago. So like the gun debate, the gun issue in, 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 um, in the country was bad, but it actually had, wasn't as bad as it became. Like mm-hmm. San Bernardino hadn't happened and Orlando hadn't happened. So right. like, you know, it, and it, it was just kind of like same old, same old. And then it suddenly got tremendously bad after we were ready for the script which was i guess sadly unfortunate for us given that we needed the world the country to get worse for the script to get more relevant but um but upon talking with him i kind of said to him ultimately like this is the kind of material that you get one bite at the apple with it's not a conceptual action thriller Mm -hmm. with a big hook you know even though it does explore a unique world and I think it has very castable roles. Ultimately, the mandate for him and for us um, in working together for the next several months is to tee this up for the market in such a way that it will hook everyone that reads it. Agents, producers, directors, actors. This will, like any script, will go through a natural progress of further development if you get people involved but they will be inclined most likely to not engage if it doesn't get into the red zone of what feels like an actionable film Mm -hmm. that could be soon made because it's not the type of um, idea that I think people naturally feel is is a big target in movies getting made. Political thrillers, um, you know, the comps aren't all that great. So, so... Ultimately, it just kind of turned into what usually the process is thereafter is I would share with him my notes on the script at that point. And Johnny, you know, to his credit still to this day is 
so exceptional to work with in development. He has no ego. Best idea wins. He, he's the type of guy that takes the, a note and then makes it better or reads between the lines to get to the note behind the note and mm -hmm. knows the cleanest way and the most succinct way to execute it. And um, so, so that first pass was maybe, maybe two, two months worth of rewriting, I think. Like it was really, just like narratively and structurally, the script was always very strong. The characters were always very strong. And, um, and I think it was just a function of making sure that we were going in and maximizing the castability of those roles, making sure that the lead character of Liz Sloan was as punctuated as much as possible, bringing up more of the motion, emotionality in her and just to give it more range and focusing the story as much as we can around her for casting purposes. And then, um, and then when he had sent the script back to me, like it really showed to me, because you never know if he could write, I didn't know if he could rewrite. Right. And that's such a key element to success in this town. It's more, it's a Hollywood's a team sport when mm -hmm. it comes to writing material. Um, and after that, I realized very quickly that this guy has what it takes to rewrite himself, have the objectivity to do so. And, um, and then after maybe a, a, a few more passes, another month or so of just tightening things up and going through all those, checking off all those boxes, one of which I think actually, and Johnny and I still talk about this to this day because it's something we employ now in the several scripts he's written since that I think he does an exceptional job at, is this analogy of a script is like a garden and the job of the writer is to plant seeds in this garden in the first half of the script that you water through the second half that turn into plants by the third act. Mm -hmm. And Miss Sloan is an incredibly dense piece of material with a lot going on, subplots and, and, and subversive, subversive elements of the storytelling and it's very twisty and turny and has a dense plot with deeply developed characters. So there was a lot we had to set up, track and pay off. So for us, it was really about going through and just trying to maximize the quality of those setup and payoffs so that by the end of the film, you really feel like all this confluence has led to a very earned experience and there's no kind of um, manipulation at play here. That if you were to watch the film a second time or in our case, read the script a second time, you realize that really this has been nicely set up. And then, um, but the real test for me now with the script and also with Johnny, cause like we'd built a rapport and a trust and he came to trust my instincts on story and the market and giving him notes and, and critiquing him. It was really about more objective people, but I'm very, very protective of material that I don't want to expose to the market just yet. I don't want to take it to agents. I don't want to go that whole route yet. So what I do is I, I take off the title page and I have a very select core group of friends that are very discreet and very smart and I sent the script out to five people basically give them a little overview on what it is but I want to just test the quality of the script the viability of the script of their opinion and the consensus back ultimately from most of them was exceptional voice very well written don't know if it's producible right. given the subject matter it doesn't quite fit into the mold but um, there's definitely potentially something here, maybe be it a blacklist script or a great writing sample. There was, uh, there actually was one executive of that list that um, 
took to the script very keenly and tried to champion inside inside her company but it was a little bit early in the process to even try to go down that route it was really just about making sure again we get in the red zone with the script so that when agents and thereafter their clients read this people feel that they could go off and make some version of this movie relatively quickly mm -hmm. and um once we got some additional feedback from for these people some of which had actually some you know actionable notes of a polished nature johnny to his credit once again went in and executed all of these other people's notes extremely well and then i guess maybe it was probably f five or six months now and i felt that okay this script is now ready for the market because then as soon as i know it goes to the market market to agent there i'll lose control i could potentially lose control of the draft i have to be prepared for it to get slipped out mm -hmm. among assistants or or just executives and so i was at that point with it so that's when my path now was very traditional. It's like I wanted to just get Johnny an agent. I believe in the value of partnering with agencies sure. when it comes to trying to expose material to the market in the most efficient and um, tactical way. Mm -hmm. So I had sent the script out. And something actually to be interesting, which I think speaks to the way that people review material in this town. I wanted to give Johnny a, uh, like as many options as possible, you know, for looking at representation rather than just kind of like leverage my own personal relationships and kind of like jam him with that. I wanted to give sure. him options if the script would warrant that. So I had sent the material to all of the major agencies at the same time. One agent who I trusted within UTA, ICM, WME, CAA, and Verve. And uh, I heard back, it's been a couple of years now, I think I heard back from Verve first and they had passed. <laughs> they had they had thought and fair enough, but they thought mm -hmm. they, they thought it was too didactic or it was too controversial. William Morris had passed because again they didn't think you could sell this piece of material in the market this to this day and age. And then um, and then I'd heard back from CAA that you know they were very responsive to the writing, but they wanted to know what else the writer had written. And this was his very first screenplay. He'd never written anything else. So I had no other samples to show. Mm -hmm which again, even for me is a little bit of a red flag, but definitely for usually a big agency where they have to sign across multiple departments. And, uh, and then I'd heard back from, from UTA, a young agent there, um, Peter Dodd, who'd read the scripts and loved it and um, really wanted to champion it internally. And frankly, to his credit, it wasn't really about what else has he written. It's just, this is a great voice, a great piece of writing who knows if it can get made, but is strong enough to put out there in a really aggressive way and to trust producers and to trust the market and try to facilitate that. And so um, ultimately Johnny then had a couple of options between two of these agencies. And ultimately the way that the cookie crumbled, it made the most sense and the most connection for him to sign with UTA. So in six months he'd gone from an obscure writer living in South Korea teaching King's English who wrote a script he never thought would see the light of day. Right. Now having representation at a major agency with a manager and a very strong, relevant piece of material. Mm -hmm. And um, and now the process is really about, okay, we've got this not so easy subject matter to get out there into the market. How can we best position it? And the tactic again, which you know is usually the, a natural first step with writers is you want to get those tastemaker reads 
just to like people that could theoretically produce it but at the same time just to kind of verify the quality of the work such that they talk about it around town this was now by the christmas holidays of 2014 so we had sent the script out just over the holidays and by the time we got back from the holidays those three weeks apparently we thought we were very careful with sending it out i think there might have been a title page on this draft but i can't honestly remember and by the time we got back the script had been shared around town it's one of those scripts that people talk about over the holidays mm -hmm. and read because we thought like it would be you know just because the blacklist had already come out so here people are reading all of those scripts but for you know but that but miss sloan suddenly became the script that everyone was talking about and so when we came back you know this vp at um at film nation who had read it had loved it and already kind of mobilized his internal um, colleagues at Film Nation, including Ben Browning, who was the president of the company. So we essentially came back in the new year to a, a preemptive offer to pick up the scripts, mm -hmm. to produce it and, and potentially finance it because Film Nation is a financing entity as well. And our thinking, we hadn't actually intended on going to the market in a way which we would try to be setting it up with a financier just yet. Sure. Sometimes it's about a producer and maybe backing into talent and going all that. But when you have the, probably the most well-regarded taste-making production entity and foreign sales company approach you with an offer, you seriously consider right. that. And Ben and Patrick had such smart things to say about the material. They were obviously very passionate about it. So we ultimately decided very quickly that we need. We want to legitimize these 120 pages and not and make them not just like a random spec out there, but something that is actually, um, you know, has the credibility to be set up at you know, one of the best, if not the best, independent production entity and financiers in the business. And so while we were in the process of negotiating that deal, the script was continuing to kind of be spread around, and. And because you know CA had read it during the, the signing phase, that agent who I had sent it to over there, Rowena, was a big fan of it. So she'd already got a lot of her departments sharing it with lit agents and talent agents. So in January, suddenly agents are proactively reading the script. And with, with Filmation coming on, it gave them even more of a legitimate reason to read it because mm -hmm. now it's not just a naked spec script. It's something that theoretically has production financing behind it. And, um, and so by the time like we had sent the script out like December 15th, by January 30th, we had a closed deal with Filmation and directors and actresses that were already raising their hand proactively <laughs> to try to get involved with this. So like, you know, I, be, before we closed the deal with Film Nation, like I was the one getting the calls from other agencies because they're not going to call the other competitive agent. They're going to call sure. the manager. I'm like, you know, call, call, you know, call Film Nation in a week. And, you know, this is very exciting. Thank you for your interest. You know, we couldn't be more proud of this material. And, and of course, one of those agents that got the material from one of those directors that got the material from his agent actually who, who Rowena actually represents and given it to John Madden who you know I've spoken and seen John many times since then through the process and you know John's a, a tastemaker of a filmmaker an and um, a great actor's director and he had said upon reading this script 
that um, he just kind of knew, like I did, like within 10 pages, that there's something extremely special here. And by the time he was finished with it, he knew this is something he wanted to throw his hat in the ring to try to make. And while reading it, <laughs> he said that he, uh, he couldn't visualize anyone but Jessica mm. Chastain in this lead. And I guess they've been trying to work together for several years since they made the debt five years ago, but had never quite aligned on the right piece of material, their schedules. Um, so he had sent it to Jessica directly upon reading it. And he had put his hat in the ring to go in and meet with Film Nation to see if he could win the job because they were sitting down with several directors. And he had, <laughs> like, I think like the day of or the day before his meeting is when he had got the, um, a, a call or an email back from Jessica saying, I read the script, or maybe through Jessica's agents at that point, I read the script. I love it and I want to do this with you. So he's able to go into his meeting and basically say, and by the way, I've shared the script with Jessica Chastain. I don't mm -hmm. know what you feel about her, but she would love to play Miss Sloan. And she was someone that immediately struck a chord with the producers and all of us involved saying that that would be a dream team. Sure. So you know, now we're, you know, we're 40 days into this process <laughs> and my writer who I have not physically met yet Wow. He, he's in South Korea. The practicality of meeting he's was no utility at that point. Yeah. So, you know, I'm Skyping with him, telling him, giving him kind of like day-to-day -day updates as we're exposing the material that it looks like this little script you thought was going to be a writing sample is now going to be directed by an Oscar-nominated filmmaker and John Madden, and Elizabeth Sloan is going to be played by the lovely and talented Oscar-nominated actress Jessica right. Chastain. And it was almost kind of like a surreal pinch myself kind of for all of us involved, frankly. We didn't know, we, we believed deep down that this script had the potential to attract that level, but you just don't know how it's going to fare in the competitive market under these circumstances. Sure. And so, and so, but you know, and of course they have to make deals and we don't know if that's going to work out. Fortunately, to Film Nation's credit, they were able to, to facilitate a deal that made sense for both John and Jessica and themselves by the time, so by April, Deals were closed, and Johnny was put on a plane by Film Nation to fly to London to meet with John Madden to further develop the script more into the ethos of his, of his vision sure. for it. And actually, John thus ended up being the very first person he met in person right. in this whole process. Like He'd met his agents and myself and his producers all over the phone or Skype, right. but he's actually shaking the hand of his first Hollywood introduction, and it's being John Madden's <laughs> right, right. home in London. Then they spent a couple of weeks going through the material page by page, and I had no doubt that Johnny was going to be an exceptional, exceptional developer with John having developed the script with him prior to that point. But, um, but I think even John might not have known but they're both Brits, and, and by the time that two weeks were over, Johnny got home, he was like, John Madden is the perfect director for this film. He entirely gets not only my vision for what I wanted to write, but he sees the even the elevated aspects that can be enhanced through the script and then ultimately through hopefully one day making the movie. And then Johnny thus embarked on the rewrite process paid for by Film Nation for the next couple of months and by August middle of August he had his rewrite done under John Madden with some input from the producers and from Jessica and now we had what would be considered the package with Film Nation producing potentially financing 
John Madden directing Jessica Chastain starring from this unknown writer in this script that you know still may or may not be a challenge to put into the market and then the goal now is to go out there and to try to get um, domestic distribution mm -hmm. for the project and and so that was facilitated through the two agencies and through Film Nation and ultimately that's kind of when it ended up landing with its current financier Europa Corp and um, you know, to be quite honest, taking this project in that package to town, you would think, you know, it's going to be just an entire feeding frenzy. And there was a lot of love for the package and the script. But because it wasn't based on a true story, because it's dealing with a very polarizing subject matter, sure. um, it wasn't like suddenly 20 studios and independent distributors fighting over the scripts. Um, it really became it really came down to like a maverick of a company or companies saying you know what we believe in this script we care about the subject matter we believe in these filmmakers and we want to essentially take a risk on this because it wasn't a five million dollar movie the budget was 16 million dollars that film nation did to make this film um, which from a comp standpoint means you gotta your break even is like up there in the double digit right. millions of dollars before you're going to see any money back um and um but you know to europa corp's credit they they not only stepped up they stepped up in a big way fully financing the film taking the world that meant film nation got the would function as producers on the project and not not working as financiers and europa corp just came in and said, you know, we'll put our money where our mouth is and make this, which is kind of ironic given it's a French company making a movie about deeply political American sure. issues. Um, maybe it's, just, it's taken outsiders on this project, be it a British director, a British writer, and a French company to <laughs> properly make a story about this issue. But I think ultimately to Johnny's credit and John Madden's credit and really everyone involved, it was really about making sure that this script was not a polemic on the gun debate. If anything, that's a vehicle for the, for the lobbying industry's de debate, but it's really about a character study and a journey um, for a woman grappling with her addictions to winning and you know, having to reconcile her, her ethical issues in the way that she operates within her professional and personal relationships and ultimately seek a redemption for that such that she can potentially have a healthy lifestyle outside of outside of her career and you know Johnny and and John that that element was really brought out in the script throughout the development thereafter and uh and ultimately, I think it's now turned into, you know, what I would characterize as kind of like a, f a female Michael Clayton mm -hmm. with hints of a few good men and all the president's, all the president's men. Um, it's just, you know, a, just an exceptional political thriller with a deeply meaningful character journey in it. And by the time, so by the time Europa Corp had come on board, now it was like fast tracked not just because the gun debate was heating up just because jessica had a very specific window if she doesn't if she if she can't be on set february 10th making this film then we lose her because she has other commitments thereafter sure. and they have to cast the film 
Johnny has to continue to do rewriting to now fit the film within the script within the budget because the budget's kind of fixed and they're now scouting locations and all that. And again, for any writer out there that's wanting to see their script from beginning, middle and end, which is frankly rare in our industry, usually there's rewrites by other people. Right. Johnny then had to come in and look at his script more like a product and how are we condensing characters and cutting scenes and to fit within the box of the budget. And again, to his credit and to the credit of the producers and, 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 this, and John Madden's or Chris Tikia, who came on, who really understood the, the parameters of physical production, they were able to shave off 15 pages from the script mm -hmm. and, and reduce it from like 72 speaking parts to 59 and you know 157 locations to 131 and finally it was able to fit to within the the budgetary box that with the movie needed to live in to be successful based on the comps and we honestly didn't know until I'd say right up until the day before, but really within three weeks of the start date, if the movie was going to go, it had to fit within the budget. Casting was still happening up until the few weeks before, but you know, once Jessica was on, she operated, she, Jessica and John operated like a lightning rod for talent taking the project seriously. And then upon them reading this great script, they genuinely wanted to be involved. So from October through January, that's when suddenly Mark Strong and Gugu Mabathara and John Lithgow and mm -hmm. Sam Waterston and Michael Stuhlbarg and Allison Pill and Jake Lisi, the whole cast locked in so quickly. And another thing, like, you know, not something we should talk about, but like because of the budgetary constraints of the physical production to make this movie and to make it cinematic, so much of the money had to go on the screen. There was no money to pay any of these actors their quotes. Mm -hmm. And Again, I think it was probably to a largely credit of John Madden and people wanted to work with him, but no one eventually had a problem with the fact that these established actors were going to be willing to work essentially what I'm sure was SAG minimum. Right, right. And they're all up there on their way to Toronto in the blistering winter to work for 41 days on this movie for money, for, for no money because they just believe in the subject matter, they love the script, they wanna work with John, they wanna work with Jessica. And I think that really set the tone for the movie as a production entity that really, although it was challenging, there were long days. I went up to, to, to Toronto for about three weeks when Johnny was up there because he got to be on set and writing and it was a breakneck pace, but once again, to John Madden's credit, the guy who's been making movies for 30 years, he is just, he is a, a gentle leader, you know, he's just able to ingratiate himself into people and have them just see he's such a genuinely good person and they, he cares about their performances and their craft. And, um, and Johnny got to sit there side by side with John and Jessica and all the actors and essentially talk to them about the script and their character. Sometimes directors don't want the writers on set. Sure. John was inviting of Johnny. Like, there was every single word in the script was written by Johnny Pereira from the guidance, of either his own instincts or some of the guidance of other people involved. And, um, and some directors don't want the writer talking with the actors because mm -hmm. it could be a, a confusion of the vision. John Madden's like, you know, that's a good point. You should talk about that with Jessica. You talk about that with, with Mark. And Johnny's off talking about character with all the individual actors separate to John while he's off getting ready to set up a shot. Mm -hmm. So the, the team familial collaboration that was this production was really, you know, 
I think even unusual for the film industry. There was no egos. There wasn't like the regular combativeness and territorialism of the process. And, and so to have this first time young writer in some ways like get the best of it, but right. also like it's never usually this easy. Right. This is right. really a testament to and the- both sides, getting it made and the, the, the actual production process. Yeah, like, it, like, you know, I think anyone involved in the project who's made movies before will say, this production shouldn't have came together this quickly. Mm -hmm. It's questionable whether it even would have got made at this budget, with this talents, you know, under these circumstances, given how this came together. Like, so it really was, you know, I actually, you know, I really do, I don't, I don't believe in, in luck and all that. I think in many ways, it's just, you know, maybe it's it's Johnny's karma of just the way that he was operating in his life at this point to be rewarded for all of that. But I also think this is a good example of one of those projects that is driven at least initially entirely by the quality of the screenplay. Sure. And I always, you know, that to me is kind of like the vampire blood of this industry for myself when I do my job is knowing that a great piece of material can be recognized and function like a magnet that attracts everyone, you know, everyone involved. I went to set and I've spoken with everybody involved and I've seen all the press interviews thereafter. The, the starting point of every conversation is what was your experience when you first got involved? And everyone says, when I read this script, mm -hmm. I was hooked. The subject matter, the craft, the writing, the twist, the turns, the characters, the emotion, it was just operating on all levels, firing on all cylinders. And, you know, to Johnny's credit through the development that we did those first six months, like we said, the agenda going to market had to be, you have to be in the red zone. When the script goes out to agents and we lose control of it essentially, and it can get slipped, which it ended up happening, you're not gonna be able to change a word until probably you've got all your major elements involved or it may not happen at all. And, and but he, getting Film Nation, John, Jessica and Europa Corp, not a word of his script changed until after all of those people were involved, mm -hmm. which really speaks to the quality of the work that Johnny did in those, his first draft and the development thereafter. And, you know, I think that's like the essence of what can make a, a story driven movie great is that people identify that the script is really the greatest special effect of the process and you know having seen the movie and how it turned out i was at a a, a screening the other day at, at the screen actors guild of it and there's a q a after and john and jessica and john lithgow and johnny were all there and after the film of course everyone all the actors get to storm the stage and have discussions with jessica and sure. the director and johnny and i'm watching this and then by the end of the night, there's like an hour has gone by and people are trying to talk as much as they can to the people on the panel. And I'm waiting there and I realize like almost everyone is left and there's a line of 10 people still to talk with Johnny. And I mm -hmm. think, I really think that people walk away from the film and saying, yes, it has incredible performance and it's amazing direction. And all of that really was made possible by what this writer did on the page. Sure. And, uh, and to me, that's just what's made this especially a special project is it really is. It started with and in some ways hasn't lost the touch and the presence of the writer. And that can happen in the film industry. Oh, it, yeah, it yeah, often does. Often does. More often than as a representative, I would like to see happen. And, 
this one really was one that was script started it off it was well smartly navigated by Johnny and the people that became involved very protective producers an incredible writer-centric director and actors that had no were acknowledging of the writer's presence and were genuinely interested in trying to find out you know what the writer ultimately wanted to do to serve their process such that it really created like to this day a great little family everyone is still very much in contact and proud of the results and respect of one another and i think a genuine desire to continue to work together no that's great yeah so yeah it's just been uh, uh you know and it's only been i guess the timeline of all that i read the script in may of 2014 took it to market and got him his agents in december of that year sold it in january john and jessica involved by no later than april with their deals rewrite with john madden by august pre-production by november shooting in february done at the end of april first cut at the beginning of july and then premiere this weekend right. at the afi festival kicking off its its launch into the award season is ultimately its release on the 25th and then the 9th it's funny because when you mention you getting that query from Johnny back in 2014, May of 2014 or whenever that was, to now, which is over two years later, it seems like that's such a long time. But then when you describe all the steps that it took, it, it seems like a whirlwind. Like those two years flew by and you were busy every single moment through the process. A hundred percent. I vividly, like I have a lot going on in my mind from just being pretty proactive with all of my business. And I vividly remember the signposts of this part. I remember getting the query letter. I remember reading the script that first time, my first Skype with Johnny. I remember how excited I would be because we're on such different times that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like I would get the script at a weird hour and I would stay up knowing that the script might come anytime because Johnny says he's going to send it. So it'd be like, one in the morning and the rewrite comes true and I'm reading it right then and there and I'm sending back my notes by 5 a.m. Like it's just like it was that enthusiastic of a process with that script and um, maybe deep down really believing in it not just as a writing sample but seeing if it could one day get made. I don't think we necessarily work as hard as we do on things that we think are ultimately going to be kind of the the grip that facilitates the career versus like the movie that facilitates the career. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yes, once, once we hit the, you know, like I said, I'm very protective of material in the incubation phase with writers and making sure they're prepared to go to market and the materials in the best shape as it can, even though it's going to change, it's got to theoretically be strong enough to ignite the process. But after it went to market, there was weekly activity on the script. There were definitely some moments where like, there was some concerns if deals were going to close. Sure. There was concerns if um, the production financing was going to close, if they were going to be able to get the actors for this price, if they were going to be able to get negotiate the locations and everything. But ultimately, to the credit of, of the producers and everyone involved, it, it absolutely came together quite splendidly and quite quickly. Yeah, um, I, I did want to ask you a couple of questions from what you were talking about I thought was, was interesting. When you went out to agents mm -hmm. um obviously a, a few you had better relationships with than with others mm -hmm. um a few responded more positively than others um but when he started to get traction and he granted 
you know, when you're talking about the CAAs and William Morris's and UTAs and ICMs of the world, they're not necessarily lacking for talent. Their, their rosters are full of working, established, award-winning talent. Mm-hmm. Um, just out of curiosity, did you get calls from any of those agents who had said, not really my thing, or I don't get it, I don't see it selling, or whatever, saying, you know what, did you end up signing him? Or, yeah, or was I that won't pretty name much? any names, obviously, but, um, and no one who had read it initially called back to reverse their opinion, like gotcha. there was none of that, but, and the people that did pass, like from an, I guess from a salesman standpoint, I get it. Sure. It's not yeah, an yeah. easy script to sell, there's no guarantee that directors and actors are going to like it but i get it and there's a vo- it's a volume based side of and business. everything is like, subjective it's very much taste driven yeah. it's like so so i did get calls like johnny signed with uta at the end of 2014 so the script hadn't got because i only sent it to these agents these agents that passed they weren't sharing with anyone because there's a script they passed on they didn't think it maybe necessarily had a life right. to go otherwise they probably would have taken it on as a piece of business um but once we started to share the scripts with Johnny's agents and it was getting out there, it was then back channeling to agents at these agencies mm-hmm. that had passed. I, I don't think they knew that one of their, cause I gave sure. to them in, in, in confidence and they pass in confidence. No one's done the wise, there was no title page on it. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't put a title page on cause if they were to pass on it, I didn't want it to be the script that people are passing on. They could identify what it's called. These people didn't even know what the script was called. Right. They didn't know the writer's name. I was only going to allow that to happen once it was favorably positioned. Mm-hmm. Then I want people to be able to know who he is because they're saying yes, not because they're saying no. Right. And we're most likely going to get some no's. So I have to protect the no's in order to get to the yes. Gotcha. And, um, but I was getting calls from, I remember one of the first calls I got when I got back from the Christmas holidays was from a separate agent at William Morris in their indie finance department saying, I read this script, Miss Sloan, over the over the weekend. If there's anything that our department can do to help, right. please let us know. Like you know, we'd love to share it with our talent departments, and um, and CAA was already because Rowena had had already really responded to the script. Like I said, she kind of already activated her lit and talent department. So by the time we got back from Christmas, like I was getting calls from from like high level agents there before Filmation had officially been kind of locked in as the production entity inquiring about the script and the process and who was involved in everything. So, which was great because like the, the script was being legitimized on its merits, not because someone had just kind of come in and made it okay to like this script, like an attachment or whatnot. Like before, like as Filmation's deal was being made, there was already a lot of love for the script in and of itself, and then when Filmation became involved, now people are not reading just a spec script, they're reading a spec script that's being produced by Filmation, so it's automatically given more credibility, mm-hmm. so people are more inclined to respond to it there, so thereafter. And then once John and Jessica were involved, like, there wasn't a single person in town that didn't think it was genius. Sure, Because absolutely. like, now it's been, no, that's not to say these people can't look at scripts on their merits and say it's great, but like, the fact that it, all these high-level pieces of talent had attached themselves, it just made everyone kind of feel like the perception of the script was that much more favorable. Right. Um, you read but, it more carefully. Uh, you you look at it a slightly differently when it has, you know. Of course, yeah, and I know, and I know the game. I know the way sure. it works. Like when I develop a spec 
piece of material I develop. I'm, de I'm developing what I say. This is a spec, not a setup project, not an assignment. There's no legitimacy behind it. So the presentation of the script itself is actually written assuming someone is going to skim it, assuming they're going to read it on their phone. Right. So like the probably the last two weeks of exposing a piece of material to the market, like when I ever say to a writer, well, you're getting notes on semicolons, you know we're in good shape because mm -hmm. uh, those notes don't come in the early days. Right. But like just making sure the right amount of white space is there, like underlining the certain words in case they're skimming, I want them to make sure they get these two beats from this page gotcha. at the very least. So they can move through the script right. and not miss anything. And Miss Sloan's type of script, if you skim it, you can definitely appreciate the storytelling, the quality of the writing, but you are not gonna have the best experience right. because there's it it flies in the it flies and dies in the details of the story. And and Johnny and we went to great lengths to make sure that as much as possible to the to the payoff of the story was on the page. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then to see what John did with the final movie and how he was able to find so many more ways visually to to expose and to create the depths of the emotion that he does in these characters i think it's just a testament to to what the directing craft did to what was already a very great screenplay but right it was the marriage of the directing and writing i think that has made and acting of course which has made this such an exceptional exceptional film and i think a lot of people are going to be really impressed with it and surprised by it because it, it's a movie that got finished the movie wasn't supposed to be released until march of next year mm. but john again to his credit and that of his editor worked their ass off over the summer i think they they came in eight weeks early on his director's cut um that was scheduled for post because he wanted to at least give it a chance to be a release this year because Jessica right. has another movie coming out in March of next year anyway so she'd be competing with herself right, and this right. movie is so topical and um, and I had seen John's director's cut of the that was the first time that I'd seen it and um, and his director's cut was amazing like I, like I actually haven't seen the final final movie with the score and everything laid in but from what I'm heard it's gone through marginal changes from that like of course notes came in from the producers and and whatnot but you know it the movie you're going to see on the screen is very much like a director's vision that was manifested in his head on set right and knew exactly the kind of movie he wanted to cut with his editor and um that really again to test him to john's vision but also i think a lot of this movie like when i watch this movie I see the script too. Like it's scene for scene, beat for beat, what Johnny put on this on the screen with it, with the exception of some some changes because montage sequences are written differently than the way that they're edited. Sure. But you know, if you were to read this screenplay and then to watch this movie, you would you would see the you would see this script transposed to the screen. Right. And um um I wanted to talk a little bit about Johnny in a second, but first I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about you had signed Johnny um, based on a great query. He just kind of, I don't want to say he got lucky because obviously he's, he's very talented as a writer, mm -hmm. but the fact that you happened to read it when you read it, he hadn't signed with somebody who maybe not believed it, you know, whatever. It was serendipitous that you happened to read his query. It was well-written, well-executed. He happened to be in South Korea, um, an expat. Uh, and 
uh, he happened to be, you know, very easygoing and, and well-spoken and he, he can work, he can, he's good in a room and all these types of things. Um, for the, the listeners out there, many of whom are aspiring screenwriters or, you know, uh, are at that point where they're sort of trying to follow in Johnny's footsteps, so to speak, although um, we do say that, uh, that, you know, for writers, this is not a usual circle. This is lightning in a bottle. That being said, it can happen, mm-hmm. but everything sort of had to go the right way. Because, for example, if his query had been terrible, even if the script was great, you never would know. Nope. If uh, you had read that, like you had mentioned, if you would have read that he was, you know, British expat in South Korea, you may not have continued reading. You may have, you may not have, you don't, we don't know. Um, if he was, had a huge ego... And it came across that way, and you're like, I don't know if I can work with this guy. If you, uh, the fact that he only had one script, if that really kind of bugged a lot of, you know, all the agents out there, and mm-hmm. his, you know, which it did apparently, the CIA. If um, he was terrible in a room and just mumbled and was not a very good communicator, all of these things could have been issues towards him having a film that is very likely to, you know, get an Oscar nomination or two come come yeah. award season. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got a movie coming out, which is is not a normal circumstance for a first-time screenwriter, for their first script. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, other than what we had sort of talked about, what you had explained, what sort of, of advice, uh, what sort of things would you say uh, to young screenwriters out there with their script that they feel is ready, whether it's their first or their 15th, what, because we, we always like to find out mm-hmm. what gives them the best chance of getting read. And we like to mention screenplay contests, um, submitting to the nickel, the fellowships, and you know, all this kind of stuff. But for somebody who, again, has a script and is looking f- to follow sort of in Johnny's very unique footsteps, what, how can they best... Uh, uh, optimize their chances mm-hmm. at getting read. At, at I don't I don't know how to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm glad you meant. Yeah. That Johnny's path is kind of an exception to Absolutely. the rule. So it's very hard to like say just do what Johnny did. You know, in because, both ways, yeah. getting representation by a query is is rare. Yeah. And getting a film made at all, but especially from your first yeah. script ever, is. Rare. I guess, like, this is a, no, this may be a more of an obtuse way to answer the question, sure. but, but as I look, you know, I'm just trying to glean from, like, this whole process with Miss Sloan and Johnny, and what I think was unique about it, which I think might not be as much the case with maybe, not to generalize, but a majority of writers trying to break into the Hollywood system, mm-hmm. is Johnny was so far, Johnny was so far removed from the process that I almost think like his naivete about what the industry wants or needs mm-hmm. enabled him just to write something that was clearly so p- diligently researched, passionately written, written from a personalized place. He, he based the, a lot of the personality or the attributes of Elizabeth Sloan's character, Jessica's character on... Um, on his own mother and some attributes you know based on just like his dramatization of what he think would be necessary in this world and 
So all I could really, I would say preparation and trusting your own instincts and telling a story that means something deeply to the writer and maybe not even anyone else, just losing yourself in the trust of that process and being diligent about everything, every single step along the way so that you give your script the best chance to feel lived in, the story to feel baked in, like Johnny did, like Johnny lived with the story probably three months before he started even doing any real diligent work on just crafting it in his mind in between classes mm -hmm. while he's in the shower. Then three months of rigorous, of uh, rigorous research, reading books. He never set foot in Washington D.C. He grew up in other countries. He's a British citizen. He didn't know anything about the American political system, about the lobbying industry. Right. He was a corporate lawyer, so I think he understood the machinations of working within a corporate environment and how he could dramatize that. But ultimately, it was just hard work and making sure there was no indolence at all in the process of making sure that you were telling the best version of your story. So it's about patience with the craft. And, and not just learning the craft, because Johnny's learning of the craft was very much true in osmosis process of just reading scripts. I mean, just that story, the diligence of telling that story, just live in it, love it, don't be in a rush with it. I get a lot of material sent to me that I can tell is just not ready for even my eyes. It was mm. a very early step in the process of someone who may theoretically help you develop material, help you prepare you for the market. like. It's gotta be like Johnny's voice, and I didn't teach, I don't teach writers how to write. And if I read material that feels like you haven't quite spent enough time telling the story or learning your process and your craft, then you're not ready for representation. I know it's really hard to determine, self-determine when that is, and maybe they have to have ways of just getting objective feedback in their life on material and going through that rewrite process. I, I think actually, I think very few writers go through a collaborative rewrite process on their script before they seek representation. It's oh, been sure. rewritten by themselves. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage them to just turn to like, if they can find, whether it's going with paying a script consultant or maybe you're, you have relationships in the industry that could give you feedback, but invite feedback and criticism and, and take it with an open mind and just keep reworking your script if your instincts true you tell you this is going to enhance it because it will feel more like a movie if it's got other opinions i think like miss stone that i see on the screen is yes in many ways largely and mostly a result of johnny Pereira's work as he's the only one but it there is ideas in that script from myself and the producers and john madden and the actors like so it's a it's a collaboration right. So when, I, when you read the first draft of a script, it, it very often doesn't feel like a movie because it just doesn't have enough components that feel like it's been vetted. And, and learning to go through that process of how to take notes and, act, and, and execute on them in an actionable way is such an important aspect to not just a writer's ability to survive this industry, but to that first script that they send out, we can tell if it's been developed or not. Mm -hmm. And developed material to a certain degree is important. And to, like, to Johnny's credit, like, just to give an example of like, what I mean by the ability to take and act, execute on notes, in Johnny's first draft of Miss Sloan, 
there was an aspect like all I like I people haven't seen the film yet, but like it was largely centralized on her professional existence or relationships, and there wasn't as much of a window into any personal life of hers. And I had felt that's something that this story needed to show another side to Liz Sloan so we can have a window to that side of her. Sure. And um, all I had said, like in one of the notes process with Johnny, I said, listen, let's try to create a, a personal relationship for her, one that is ideally based in more of an morally questionable relationship so we can further kind of like show the dark side to this character what if she were to see a male escort throughout the film <laughs> and in terms of characterization of that care uh, of of whoever that person is think brad pitt and thelma and louise mm. that was literally all that i said it took 45 seconds to communicate that note in that with those at those parts and then johnny took that 45 seconds of information and went off and wrote five scenes with a completely brand new character perfectly positioned within the structure of the script that retained that maintained that was in the script from that second draft until the final movie. So, you know, that ability to take so much from so little, I think, just to, so people want to think like when they get notes, it has to be spelled out. Like, yes, I can get to a point where I'm like literally giving spot specific dialogue suggestions and a writer with no ego is open to that. But in this case, that early on contextually, can you take an idea, a contextual idea and turn it into actionable scenes and characters and dialogue. And when I read those scenes, I could tell that they fit organically in the script and they, it's almost like they were always meant to be there, but the note just hadn't come yet. Right. And you can tell when you read writer's scripts when they come to me, if they've gone through a process where people have given ideas that have been integrated in seamlessly, or it's just kind of like the writer's first instinct on everything. Right. I think you gotta, not, it might come out kind of strange, but I think every writer should question their first instincts on everything. Like almost assume that the first instinct, if the first instinct was wrong, what is right? And excavate further. You might, through that process, come back to realize your first instinct was right, right. but question it. Because maybe there's something deeper. Sure. And if you have 20 beats in the script that were first instinct and 10 of them end up being wrong, your script is now 50% better already. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So I guess, you know, that would be what I would, I would say is just be patient with that script. You want to be the touch point to the industry, the pebble in the pond that's going to create the ripples that ideally become your representation, the script maybe getting optioned or made or assignment work mm -hmm. off of that. That first script you go out there with is, with is so important because if you fuck it up, or you go out too early, or it's the wrong story to be taking out because it's just not personal enough to you you might not get another bite at the apple at some right. of those people. And if you blast it out, you might be completely, you know, sending a flamethrower through a tremendous amount of relationships because you're just not being smart and patient and tactical enough about your material. Absolutely. Absolutely. We absolutely we like to emphasize that as much as possible. Um, even just in the query stage, be very sort of... Uh, uh, restrained in terms of of who you're going out to if you're ready to go out to 
um, and very diligent in terms of, of when you go out, like we were talking earlier, um, don't just, you know, CC everybody that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shows that you're not willing to take the time and effort to uh, individualize emails because we get queries all the time um, meaning me from scripts and scribes when I'm not an agent I'm not a producer I have no desire to read the material um, and I'm not going to do anything for for anybody who does send in the material and yet I get a lot of queries and a lot of them are you know dear sir or madam or mm-hmm. the to whom it may concern and one I'm not interested but two even if I was it shows that you were not diligent enough to individualized, personalized, which means you're probably not going to take, you're not taking it as seriously as somebody who is personalizing it. And we were talking about it earlier that if somebody queried you, you know, you know, dear sir, blah, 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 my script, you're far less likely to read it than if someone said, hey, you know, I saw Miss Sloan, I loved it, it was great, I know, you know, your client, I know you had involved, were involved in that or I listened to you on the podcast, something personal then you know at least they're doing their homework. They're mm-hmm. putting in effort. They're, uh, they're not going to be the type to just sit back there as a client, give me a check. Here's my script. You know what I mean? And, and because a lot of, of your, your job as a client is not done when you find representation. There's a lot still more to go on. They, they're, they're just, you know, uh, they're, they're there to help you. That's the first base camp at the bottom of Everest. Right. It's, yeah, it's a tremendous journey after that for sure. And like in, in going back to what Johnny did, like Johnny didn't just blast this out to random people. Like he actually went, he actually went to one of the most credible lists in the industry with the blacklist, mm-hmm. the official blacklist, the previous year, the 2013. Went to he because he said if you have a script on the blacklist representative, you're probably have good taste and you have access to relationships. Right. So he's automatically getting rid of anyone he feels hasn't reached a certain level of helpfulness and right. credibility. And then he actually read the scripts to try to figure out ones that might share a sensibility and a taste to his material. Sure. So he's not sending his query to people that represent comedy writers. Right, absolutely. And then when he got those emails off of IMDb Pro, he sent out individual emails with my name. I still have the query letter. I printed out and put it up on my office wall right in that <laughs> room. And, um, and uh, it was addressed to me directly. I'm sure what the body was a cut and paste he sent to several people, but after I had talked with him and signed him, we started talking more about that process. He said he had such a difficult time finding emails of people online. He was only able to send out like maybe a, a dozen, like direct, cause he, he wanted to go out, I wanna start with like, you know, 10 people versus 100, he's gonna start with like his top 10. Right. And if no one gets back to him, then he'll go to the next tier. Right. And of that And top, maybe even alter his query, because maybe something yeah. is wrong with the query. If he got feedback or something, yeah. like, you know, he, he absolutely is the type of person that would have made adjustments. And then he said he'd got two responses for the script, one from myself and some from other, another rant. So eight people, eight to 10 people got the email and just deleted it, which is pretty much what it usually is the case for liability purposes or just time restrictions. And then, um, and then I, I, like I said, I took a few weeks to read it. And when I got back to him, he had told me thereafter that this other place that had requested, they hadn't, they had never responded. Like, so they expected the script, but they even like he and I worked together for six, seven months before he had any, before he talked to other human being in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. 
and he'd never heard back from that <laughs> place. And he would have just right. said, I've started working with someone, so it's not available anymore, but thank you. But again, never heard back. Sure. Um, Which is also very common in the industry. Yeah. But like, you know, like, so that, just to go show, he did the optimal way of doing it and still only got one response. Right. You know, which doesn't, I guess, put a lot of faith in the query letter approach, but don't stop doing them because you never know. You might win the lottery sure. like that. But it don't put, I, I'd say don't put all of your eggs in the query letter basket because it is so universally rejected for various reasons. And then they have to figure out other methods, you know, which I know you've, we've talked about many times in the past on your show about mm -hmm. other ways that people can get their material to representatives and stuff. Right, right, right. Um, so I guess I just wanted to sort of segue into Johnny uh -huh. and he now has a produced film that's coming out very, very soon. Mm -hmm. Um, what uh, you probably can't get into too much detail, even if you are at that stage yet, but where does somebody who has written one screenplay, at least, uh, you know, to that point, I don't know what he's written since then. Yep. Uh, although working on the film probably didn't allow him lots of free time to <laughs> write a bunch of new When specs. you're the only writer working on the project the whole time, that, that's the good thing. But right. the bad thing is, is you're not available to take six jobs a year, which sure. writers theoretically in demand can do. But we as representatives knew anytime something came up with the film, that was the priority. We, Johnny right. gets to make sure that he protects his sole credit. He gets to learn as much in this process as possible, working with everyone along the way. So probably from when the train left the station with Film Nation, John Madden, at least 75% of Johnny's time was focused on Miss Sloan right up until um, he left set, which was two weeks into production. And Johnny, and like, because John is so hands-on with Johnny and, and supportive of his involvement, through post-production, Johnny was seeing cuts of the film. Mm -hmm. He was writing all the B-roll. Like, this is a movie with a lot going on. There's a lot of background people talking. There's a lot of TVs. and That's mm -hmm. all scripted stuff. Johnny wrote every word of everything you hear in the script. There's no wah-wah-wah-wah-wah. Right, wah, right. wah. It's words written by Johnny that's to play amazing. in the background. Like, there's a scene where Jessica's having a very long conversation with one of the supporting characters in the background. Gugu Mabatharaz's character, Esme, is having, she's doing a long discussion about her debate on the television. It's just very, that it's like a three minute thing that Gugu had to memorize and shoot, and it's only background, and Johnny wrote that entire thing that she says. Wow. And I've seen that, the dailies for what that scene was, and that performance and that writing of itself is great. Right, right. But it's just literally, at the corner of the, of the screen, as Jessica's having a conversation in the foreground with someone else, just to show the level of involvement he was as a writer and the level of detail that the production and John Madden went to make sure that everything within this frame is authentic to this right. movie. Well, I have a ton of respect for, for people who do that, like Johnny doing that. I mean, I have a ton of respect for John Madden for allowing, you know, because obviously somebody of John Madden's stature, you know, as a director, you could definitely cut off the writer if you wanted to, but it's, it just seems like Johnny was just so, such a pro. I mean, he was a first time writer but he was such a pro and I love to hear stories like that and you know I use an example of I remember a story from The Office you know that old uh, TV show mm -hmm. with Steve Carell and uh, Steve Carell I, I've met he's tremendous he's just a nice guy but it's the kind of thing where he's he's a pro he's a consummate professional and I remember hearing a story about him where 
uh, there was a scene where I guess Pam and Jim are talking and uh, 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 Michael Scott's car drives by in the background. Um, and they said they cut um, Michael, uh, Steve Carell loose. They're like, you know, you're done. We'll just have, you know, a double just drive by. He's like, I could do it. You're going to see me, right? And they're like, we can use a double. He's like, no, no, no. I'll just do it. And I guess for the entire, you know, however long it took to shoot that scene, a couple hours, he would just drive by in the background. Just so you could see his yeah. little head drive by in the background. Wow. But the fact that the lead of your TV series was willing to stay for a shot like that, where they're in, he's barely even in it, where they were willing to put in just a double because he just zips by in the background, shows you the character of the individual, how much he cares about the project, how much a professional he is. And it's the same thing which you're mentioning with Johnny. Oh, yeah. It, he will work again. I mean, who doesn't want to work with somebody like that? Yeah, right? no, absolutely. And I would actually say that this... You know, I was involved in, you know, I was around the set and got to speak with everyone involved. And I think that, you know, everyone I spoke with on this project seemed to have that level of dedication and work ethic, not just the project, but maybe just as, it just attracted a crew and a cast sure. that were made up of a constitution of that nature. Like mm -hmm. for instance, like to, to Jessica Chastain's credit, like the end of the movie is this big courtroom sequence where she has to give like a, very long um, kind of mea culpa speech. And there are, every character in the movie is almost in this scene. So you need coverage of all of these characters right. through the scene. And so when she's not on camera, she's still giving the same speech so the actors can respond to what she's saying, not to just responding to what they remember from the script. So like she had to do her 10 takes, but then she had to do three takes for every single actor's right. cutaway. Right. So this speech, which is probably three pages in the script, ended up being like 12 consecutive hours, if not more than one day, of her saying the same speech in character over and over and over right. again. And you know, I think that was the nature of the project for, for so many people involved. They had many 16-hour days. And, and, and Johnny, to, his, to your earlier point, yeah, like he... You know, not just to mention the fact he was living, he still lives in Asia. Really? He does, he has not moved to Los Angeles. There is just no utility in him doing it yet. He gets to write on a, at a house looking out on the beach, you know, like mm -hmm. it's just an optimal creative circumstances to write. So he, like in the last year, he has traveled like South Korea to London, to DC, to Toronto, to LA twice. You know, he's he's been like he's just like he has spent hundreds of hours on a plane just to make it possible for him to be in person for this process. And that really messes up your circadian rhythm. And, you know, he writes on the page. Like one day he said that he, he you know, he had to write some B-roll very, very quickly. So he wrote it while in the terminal at a layover on his way to somewhere he had to write he had to go in and write a whole rewrite a whole scene mm. and hit send before he got on the plane and lost access to his internet that's a movie in and of yeah itself. exactly the but the that was, oh yeah the, the pace at which yeah. like once the movie was officially greenlit he was writing and rewriting and rewriting and mm. like changing things constantly daily like right even when he left and came to LA for a few weeks after they were still shooting in Toronto because he had a number of meetings here for a TV project that we have. But like he had to be very close to his phone because it's very possible he gets a call from John or someone in production saying, Johnny, we need, we need to know what this is. We need this from you. And he'd stop, pull his car over, 
make send an email, right. write something real quick, send it back, and go back to work here, which is something that has nothing to do with Sloan at that point. Right. So yeah, it was yeah, like the work ethic applied to that is something a writer absolutely has to have. And there was never one single complaint at any point because even though it is laborious and tiring and you lose sleep, it's uh it's it's what you wrote the script for. Like you're if you have a a baby, you're not going to complain ideally as a good parent when you're waking up at four in the morning having right. to feed and change that child. That is your your movie. Your your movie is the child that wakes you up at four in the night at night screaming for help. Right. And you still love it and you do it with a smile on your face. That's the attitude that you have to have as a writer, as a parent. Yeah. Right, right. As a, a parent of a three-year-old. <laughs> I can relate, although there, there, there are moments when you have very little sleep, you're like, what did I just do? But yeah, no, absolutely. You, you, you love it and you keep going and yeah. you give, give it everything you have. What's next? I mean, in the career planning stages, I mean, obviously you can't- For Johnny make, or? Yeah, for yeah, Johnny. Oh, yeah, specifically for somebody who is at that stage. He has representation, great representation, um, and has a film on the way, where does, he go next what do you and you know uh, his agents at uta where do you go next of is course. it owas is it a spec is it yeah well like there's like you know there's proactive representation sure. and there's reactive representation reactive is gonna probably happen more so once the film Comes is back. officially like right. there's been reactions to people reading the script and mm -hmm. when the movie went into production there was more interest in it because now he was a viable soon to be credited screenwriter and getting that produced credit is something that automatically elevates a writer's opportunities and, and, and financial gain and whatnot. Um, so we will see what comes down the pike once the movie is, like right now it's being screened very discreetly among the guilds and we're getting incredible feedback from, from the people that have seen it, but like the world hasn't seen it yet, it hasn't premiered yet, it hasn't played at a festival, it hasn't opened yet. So, you know, I'm very, uh, very bullish on that, but we'll see what that garners. In the meantime, like he wrote, like when he wrote we took Sloan out, like I said, in January 2015. He had a writing assignment by March. Oh, like, really? you know, he right away got hired to rewrite a project for a production company that had a director and an actor attached. It hasn't been formally announced, so I can't really reveal the details sure, per sure. se. But like, you know, he right away went into rewriting someone else's script. It was a four-week job. And I, I like the idea of him going very quickly into just doing a rewrite of someone else. Cause that's a, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of revenue as a writer is gonna come from like that quick work of yeah. coming in and doing weeklies or doing a month, a rewrite or a polish on something that you didn't originate. You may not get credit on it, but you know, you come in and you script doctor, you do a dialogue polish, you mm -hmm. come in and punch up the action or whatever. So we did that, but of course, the assignment world, which you know, I partner with with the agencies, and the agency kind of spearhead and facilitate as much as we can. Like you know, interest was coming in, but like in the assignment world, like there's the kind of jobs are rewrites, mm -hmm. um, book adaptations, and then you know, developing someone else's idea, article, or pitch, unless you originate something and then sell it as a pitch or spec it. So each those three things, rewrite usually being the easiest one to lock down and do quickly. That still takes four weeks minimum to get that job and it might be competitive mm -hmm. you know in johnny's cases there have been some exclusive engagements he's adapting a book not not a book he's adapting a true life story for an oscar-winning producer and a studio um right now um that was 
Like they came to him off of Sloan, offered him the project. He only had to, he read one book on the biography of one of the characters and did one Skype talk. It didn't even have to pitch a take. Just basically said, I like this world. I'd like to do this. And then they offered him the job. Wow. And we did a deal and he's now has that on his plate. And then another project that he has, which he is working on, was an adaptation of a book that just recently came out, but when he got the job, the book hadn't been released, hasn't been announced yet, so we can't talk about it. It's for a major studio with another Oscar-nominated producer, and that was a little bit more competitive. He wasn't the only writer approached. The studio approached him after mm -hmm. reading Miss Sloan and said, we think you'd be great for this. He read the book and said, yes, I'd like to. He's very picky. He's passed on most things, mm -hmm. but he threw his hat in the ring on that. It's been a book they haven't been able to crack for a couple of years. They've had it under, they've had it at the studio for a couple of years and no one's really coming with a take they've liked. And on this round, Johnny and I think three or four other writers all went in and met with the head of the studio and the, and the development executives. And he ended up winning the job just based on his pitch. And that was all done remotely over Skype wow. while he's in right. Malaysia. They did meet with him generally when he came to town prior to getting the job. And they didn't even know about the job for him at that point, but at least they knew what he looked like in person. And then he got that job. So he's, he actually still has both of those projects that he's working on in some various, but, but he's got like the first drafts of them. So like he's, he's a little out of the weeds and now it's right. into the development with the producers and the studios. And um, he wrote, he actually spec'd a TV pilot that is outstanding that um, I'm actually producing with anonymous content. Oh, great. So that's an idea that after Miss Sloan was finished and we knew we had trash, I said to Johnny, I'm like, Johnny, you're good in film. You don't have to go and spec a movie right now. This is such a great example of your craft and your prowess and its features. Mm -hmm. Let's get into TV if you have an idea or something that's passionate about there. And then he and I just started brainstorming on stuff. I think the genesis of the idea was we both kind of talked about we had this mutual love and affection for the movie The Shawshank Redemption. It's a great... Incredible. You're not yeah. going to find anyone who doesn't love that no. movie. They're top five. Absolutely. And then something we thought would be interesting is trying to repurpose that character arc in a completely different environment in a television series of kind of like a person with a, an intellectual skill put into a terrible situation where they, these people leverage that skill for their own gain mm -hmm. while the whole time him using it to manipulate right. them for his own survival and thus eventually his gain. Right. And then Johnny, and then once, much like he did on Sloan, he did some research and came up with a scenario based on research that could be a great character for that. And then we developed the script and he wrote it very, he wrote that script in like, he wrote the treatments in like a week and a half wow. and then maybe, maybe two weeks of development and notes on that. And then he wrote the script in three weeks and then maybe another week or two of development on that. And then we were out there looking at producing entities and that's when Anonymous came on and, and actually he's in town this week and we'll be sitting down with them to talk about our next steps on that. Cause we'll, that'll be kind of teed up and ready, I think for the market market, like how to properly position it with filmmakers and whatnot, very close to the release of Sloan, which is good timing. Cause he'll be in the conversation as a very, talented, credible writer all the time because something a brand new piece of available material in a different entity. Mm -hmm. It's very classy. It's kind of like Shawshank Redemptions meets City of God, but in a TV serialized wow. expression. Right, right. And he does have a brand new project that I'm intentionally keeping very much under wraps right now. His agents are obviously familiar with it, but um, it's an original idea um, kind of like Johnny, like people, a lot of people read Miss Sloan and think that he's the guy you go to with social issues and <laughs> political. <laughs> he's that, that guy it's, now. So, it's true. He's been yeah. a little bit pigeonholed for that. And that's fine because 
that there's so few people that you know Tony Gilroy, sure, Aaron yeah, Sorkin, yeah, yeah. Bo Williman, like it's a good list. class to yeah. be in. Um, and he's not as expensive as those people yet. So like it's like let's get like the less expensive version of Aaron Sorkin. Right, right. But he, but Johnny has got a, a very like he grew up watching and loving movies like. The Terminator and mm. Blade Runner and Alien. Interesting. And, yeah, yeah. Also, the, you know, I think Mission Impossible, things that we all like. Right. So, but he's never going to be able to go into a programmer. He's probably not going to be able to ever go off and write just a pure f- confection popcorn movie without any depth or elevated elements or character design or thematic relevance or social relevance to it. But we have an idea right now that's a grounded sci-fi idea that is kind of in the space of, it's like a, not futuristic, but like the conceit and the way in is kind of like Minority Report, but it's set in the tone in the world of something more like Training Day. Hmm. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity for Johnny to show that he can bridge that gap into what might be perceived as more like commercial conceptual material, right. but without losing the essence of those elements that made something like Miss Sloan especially. It's got a very strong female protagonist. It's got a great ensemble supporting that female's trajectory. Right. It's got a deeply relevant, if not prescient element to the idea that I think once again, like Sloan got ahead of the gun debate and then came out right when it was at a fever pitch. I don't know, you'd ever, you know, knock on wood, but this is one of those ideas where the world he's exploring is something that's very much being attempted and talked about in a technological capacity, but it hasn't been cracked yet. Mm-hmm. And because it's a movie and you can dramatize and create things right. that aren't real, we, he was able to bridge the gap into what this technology looks like in our very, very near future. Mm-hmm. And then just found a very high concept way into that that creates a a deeply emotional pressurized journey for this lead female character which i think is going to be another great opportunity for an actress so that's something that i'm working on very close to the vest with johnny through development right now my op, my ideal timing for that would be you know again at some point shortly thereafter the movie comes out or mm-hmm. at the top of the year if 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 all like if all the creative pieces are are aligned and he hasn't been pulled in too many different directions with these other commitments he's working on you know i would love to be able to you know go out with something that i control and we control not just kind of chasing assignments or having sure. to go out and be competitive on things like that's a great way to write before to get paid before you write but if you really want to have maximum control, you got to write before you get paid. Right. And um, and in this situation, even Johnny doesn't. He can sell pitches at this point. He can do that kind of stuff. But we we intentionally strategized. This is one that you should spec, because it will prove the execution. We'll have more control over it. We can put it together with producing partners and maybe package it up with mm-hmm. talent, and and you know see if we can actually leverage that into maybe a, a situation where we could actually be tra- talking about making a movie. And not creating a just a piece of development for him, right? So, so come January, like he'll, you know, he's very busy right now, and he's here on in LA on the press tour for the next three weeks, and all the machinery of the other projects had to stop as a result of him doing Q and As and sc- attending screenings and interviews, right, right. you know, twelve hours a day. Um, so when he gets back to Malaysia, like when the 
he lands in Malaysia because of four, it's three days of travel. The day his movie opens uh-huh. here in America. So he's not going to stay for that? No, he's he'll be here for the work. premiere and then he'll be here for several screenings. But he flies out on the 22nd and the movie opens on the 25th because all of his work would be done. So he'll just be learning about, it's a limited release on the 25th. So like he won't, it's only four screens in here in LA. So it'll be the ninth that it really kind of hits mm. the 1800 screens, whatever the wide sure. release is. And he'll be back in Malaysia and hopefully several weeks into working on one of these projects at that point. So like the, the treadmill of his life has been put on pause and will start again at 10 miles an hour as soon as he lands back in Malaysia. Right. Yeah, so he's extremely busy. Like it's a good problem to have to be that busy. That's part of my job is to help Absolutely. manage that busyness so that he can maximize opportunity without feeling overwhelmed right. such that he can still do the best work possible and Fortunately, we're in business with a lot of, you know, very understanding producers and people that, you know, are mindful of how important it is that this movie is best positioned and represented in the market because that helps their projects. Absolutely. So they're being patient with Johnny having to work on the press tour right now. And he's a very fast writer. Like he's a, his process, which I think is really unique. He's a thinker. He sits and he thinks and he makes the whole movie up in his head. He works in a Word document before he ever goes to final draft. He writes scenes out without any dialogue, just the, the intention of the scene, what the f- fundamental action is here, the primary characters in the mm-hmm. scene. He writes all that out in a Word document before he even goes into final draft. And when he goes to final draft, when he opens it up and starts putting stuff in there, you know, he usually can have a, a draft a solid first draft in about six to eight weeks. Wow. And then uh, and then just the, the later development after that, which hasn't been as aggressive as it was on Sloan because he's learned so much sure. about writing and his voice since then that he's just honing in on stronger instincts sooner. Right. Well, yeah. it's great to hear that, um, again, he's dabbling in every single aspect, it sounds like. He's like the perfect case study for uh, screenwriters, meaning he's got a spec that he sold that's being made into a film. Mm-hmm. He's done rewrite work. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a pilot in development, a spec pilot. He's uh, developing something with a producer, you know, um, that's based on source material or you know, an idea, germinating an idea, uh, and developing that. You know, so it's it's all these different tracks because there's not one. I think um, because the I think a lot of newer writers think that you write a script, you sell it. It gets made, and, and yeah. that's that's how you work. Fifteen in years ago, I guess it was like that. <laughs> right before, back in the South back, days, back, back before I was, you know, I was still in college. Right. But like, yeah, yeah, no, that it's a great, it's an astute point. He's absolutely in. Like, there's directors involved in some of these projects, so he's working with some of the talent. So the development is hopefully kind of truncated because it's more driven by the filmmaker who's going to make the project. It's mm. not just development in a vacuum with the producers and whatnot, which is right. obviously very important. Still, it's a stepwise process, but. You know, I've gotten calls recently from from talent agents that have seen a cut of Miss Sloan and said, I would love for him to meet with my actor client because he's also producing or she's producing. Right. She has material and ideas. Sure. So so that's like, you know, and again, it'll all be based on his and their availability. But just, yes, the opportunity to sit down and discuss the many iterations in which projects can come to life is an invaluable experience. And Johnny is, you know, he's been active in the industry for a little over two years and he's already checked off a lot of those boxes of how to work with and he's about to have a very hopefully meaningful produced credit under his belt and it's just a great you know i use the analogy of a pebble in the pond but i think 
that first credit, although we can't all hope and we can't all hope, but we can't all position that first credit to be the one that ends up being the launching pad for mm -hmm. other ones, like Aaron Sorkin doing A Few Good Men as his, his, his first credit, or Bo Willeman doing Ides of March as his first credit feature-wise. And it's ironic that there's similar sensibilities to Johnny in this movie, but... Right. But, um, they're both playwrights, you know, successful yeah, playwrights. Yeah, exactly, and they were, right. both, they were both adaptations of their plays, Farragut right. North and A Few mm -hmm. Good Men. In this case, yep. it wasn't a play. When we were developing the script, there were parts where we were actually saying, Maybe this is a play. <laughs> I mean, well, it was so, but we, we really felt like it was cinematic enough given like it was so twisty and turny that they wouldn't have punctuated as much, nearly as much on the stage. Right. But yeah, but to my point is that, um, you know, he's, this film could be what you hope to be one of those things that is like the tone setter for opportunity even though he doesn't want to just go off and write political thrillers his whole career he wants to be more prolific than that we're very systematically bridging those gaps sure. so it's not going to like you know going off and writing what would feel like a complete 180 just right. well, not to say that he can't and won't one day want to write something that would be very different in sensibility mm -hmm. but for now like the project that he's working on the grounded sci-fi one it's certainly not set in the world of Miss Sloan, but you can see the DNA of sure. this new project shares a lot of things with Sloan. Mm -hmm. It's got twists, it's got turns, it's got an ending you don't expect. It's got a strong female lead. It's dealing with relevant subject matter. Right. It's just set into a genre that's a little bit more accessible, I think, to a broader audience right. and thus more marketable and, and saleable in that capacity. But, you know, it's gonna definitely have some Sloan-esque elements, and I could only hope that people respond to it as favorably. It's not gonna be the same. I Just to manage expectations, I don't think it's gonna be this, because Miss Sloan was written to be kind of like this actor's piece from the outset. That was really the, the best, if not only thing it had going for it was because it was so castable. Mm -hmm. But this other one, although I think to be highly castable, is also gonna have other attractive elements because it's gonna have creative cinematic set pieces that's going to deal with a world that is going to be somewhat escapist and thus a little bit more you know cinematic and movie like to play in and not cut so close to the cloth of the nerve of the current political ecosystem that many people might be really like disenfranchised by right now who right, knows what right. people are feeling if they want to just go off and i know why a marvel movie does so well right now is because oh it's just hard to <laughs> right. think. Hopefully with the election being ending today, right. um, people can then now appreciate a movie that looks at politics in a way that is more about what went so wrong with the last 18 months, how our system can so easily be manipulated, why mm. it's broken. Like, it, it, it's actually quite extraordinary how relevant and topical this movie is right now not just because of the gun debate but because it's really pulling back the curtain on our political system and exposing its corruption exposing you know it's ineffective elements when it comes to serving the people and how these politicians ultimately are there to serve themselves mm -hmm. if people are not completely spent politically right now i encourage seeing the movie for those reasons because it's going to be deeply fulfilling if not the movie is kind of wish fulfillment it might not seem like it is from the way that you know it's being positioned because it's just hard to tell until you get in and watch it but having seen it this movie is really the more it's, it's hope it's about hope that our that change can happen in our system and that a select few if not even one human being
willing to fall on the sword or willing to put their career on the line mm -hmm. or willing to fight the impossible fights, mm -hmm. what one person or a small group of people can do. This is like the Rocky of political thrillers. It just deals with a character that has got a lot of ethical issues that she has to overcome emotionally and within her relationships in order to really um, earn that full arc. The arc of this character is tremendous. And that was always on the page. It came on the page even more through the development, especially with John's involvement. And then Jessica was able just to personify it in a way to bring a depth that what she can do with silence, what she can do with a stare is, you know, when she's not talking a mile a minute, 80% mm -hmm. of the movie, there's just so much rain going on. So I think for all those reasons, it's just going to be relevant now and it's going to be tremendously helpful to what Johnny's trying to accomplish in his career as a writer. And it all started with a query letter that was well-written that did not specify he was a British expat in South oh, Korea God. teaching English. We teaching still English. joke about it. We were at dinner last night, last night actually with his agents and we were talking there after and we kind of just joke a little bit about like, just like how one little thing, mm -hmm. like I swear if he had a said, and by the way, I hope this doesn't discourage you, right? You know, but I'm British and I'm living in South Korea. I, I, I know without a doubt, I would have deleted that email <laughs> just because such a red flag. Right. And then that's not to say if I deleted that other person wouldn't have got back to it. That person never did. So right. actually, who do, I think you could safely say if that had been the case, if he had wrote that I deleted that email, the movie wouldn't exist, at least right. not right now in the sure. form it does. Right. So like kudos to him for having the foresight to write just the information that makes his material attractive. Absolutely. And not apologize for it or himself in any way. Right. And then once he hooked an interested party with the quality of his work, then he's transparent about it. It's so much like Liz Sloan's character in the movie She's that kind of person. Like, the more I think about it, the more I think about Johnny. Well, it's based I, on his mother, right? Part well, of the, it? <laughs> he says the good parts of the character, the work ethic, right. the way in which she can fight for a cause greater than herself and all that. But, you know, the duplicitous elements, he says, all came more from his imagination. imagination. But he's definitely a tactician and uh, sure. a master chess player just in the way that he approached this process of getting a script to Hollywood and taken seriously. But again... All of that aside, it, none of it would have worked if he hadn't uh, put a tremendous amount of, uh, uh, of incredible storytelling on, on those pages. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to all the, the listeners out there who are seeking to sort of, you know, move into the industry, get your break, get a, a, an agent, a representation, get something sold, get something read, whatever... I think one of the things we can take away from that is be careful what you put out there and make sure it's the best representation of you, your material, your writing, whatever it is, before you send it out. And be very mindful of that. Be very smart about it. Because once it's out there, you know, it's, that's, a lot of things can happen. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, and I, I don't think there's anyone out there that ever kind of like sends out their material and says, I don't think this is good enough. Like it's really hard to get, to, 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 to articulate how to actually know that. And again, we just spent this time talking with a guy who literally let no one read his script. I was the first person to ever read it. So it, again, it's a, a exception to the rule. As I'm telling people, when you're sending it to representation, I think the safest route is to have that script it discreetly read by right. people and get feedback, demand it, say like, like, 
tell me everything that's not working and be brutally honest be brutally honest and like drop your sensitivities and take it on if they genuinely think it's brilliant then great acknowledge right. its brilliance but chances are it's not even the first draft of, like the first draft of Miss Sloan in the movie we see are definitely not the same thing sure. like the narrative structure and the characters and the certain thing but like it went through collaborative transformation with myself and the producers and director and the actors like it goes and that's so like rather than try to win the lottery and do the Miss Sloan Johnny Prayer route go through a lot of that collaboration with relationships that a writer right. has so by the time we read the script we can feel like maybe we're reading something that's further along in the process because right. I actually would I actually would say that Johnny and his writing ability, knowing that he's self-taught, knowing that he this is literally the first script he ever wrote. He didn't even do any of those scripts that no one reads and you you mess up. This was the first like the one. Drawer script. That's that's yeah that, that's kind of that's almost like a savant like level yeah, of talent. So like assuming that that isn't the case with most of the people out there and it actually is a process of doing your 10,000 hours mm -hmm. and all of that spend your 10,000 hours on it because the first bite at the apple be it a manager or a producer or anyone that's actively working to try to 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 get results with people material and activate um careers you know we most of them are past the point of having to do like a level of development on a writer that feels like you know what they have the early makings of right. a voice that's, and yeah. everything else is fundamentally broken that's not your but job. I'll, I'll take on that project that's not certainly not my job i don't think many managers like i'm very hands-on and i consider myself producerial and developmental and all of that but you know the bar is got to be like this is way better written than i could ever do myself right. otherwise i would write it and take the full the full payment <laughs> right you know well i mean we talk about you know some of the best writers whether it's the the aaron sorkins of the world or the frank darabont's of the world um but even writers that are not at that level but still working professional really fantastic writers that's their competition that's and, and if they're not able to go in there and compete at that level whether you know and using a sports analogy this is the nba this is yep. the highest level of competition and you're competing against the LeBron Jameses of the world. And yeah, not everyone's going to be LeBron James, but if you don't belong on an NBA roster, you're not going to find success. Yeah. You're, you're not going to get an agent or a manager to represent you. Um, if you need to be, if you, I'm a great college player, well, then you sometimes you need to groom yourself to get to that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's well stated. I use those analogies myself as well. And I use the sports ones as well. I, I constantly say to writers like Hollywood doesn't grade on the curve. Like mm -mm. every time a new spec comes out, it resets the bar as to what people expect. Now there's different ways in which you can position material. There's different tastes and there's different tiers. But I know, like at least with my business model, I know my peers and colleagues, like, you know, if we want to assert our businesses, like you say, like the NBA, then I would say, like, you know, if I want to operate a business like the, the, the 1980s Chicago Bulls or, or, or Phil Jackson's L.A. Lakers, like if I'm Phil Jackson, then they need to be Michael Jordan. They mm -hmm. need to be Kobe Bryant. And the college years, the high school years, that's all pre-NBA. Right. So, like, when you've graduated high school and gone to college and to craft, that all has to be done in your own time yeah. with your own resources. Then you come and you show your material to Phil Jackson. Right. And if it's not MBA level, then it's going to be rejected. 
and you're probably never going to be on the Lakers as right. a result. And sure, there's plenty of other dropping the analogy. There's plenty of other representatives out there. There's producers out there, but I know with myself, I can't really give more than one, one or two bites, just because, you know, I I actually do value the tactician, the tactical approach of saying. I'm exposing this because I've done my due diligence and right. I feel it's ready, or at least my development is ready because so much about what great writing is, is either inborn and intrinsic or, or, or developed over time. But either way, my access to them is very late in that right. process because it's really about converting that person's abilities into results, getting produced credits in film, TV, right. making them money, having their creative visions realized in a collaborative capacity. It is this industry, it's a team sport. And um, if they're still, they should still be out on the basketball court in their high school, then they need to be doing that with other people. Right. It's funny, now that you were talking about this, there's a funny little story. Do you know who Brian Scalabrini is? I do not. Brian, exactly. Brian Scalabrini is a former NBA player. He was on the Celtics team with, with Kevin Garnett and, and, and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen when they won the championship. He is a former USC great, um, was drafted in the second round. Um, and he was always a marginal player, like, you know, 11th, 12th man. You know, they, he was never a star in the NBA. Let's put it that way. And there was a, a college player. I can't remember what college it was, but a D, I think he was a D1 player, I think. Um, but he was a college player, good player, who was tweeting Brian Scalabrini after he had retired. So he was, had already retired and is now like a commentator and was tweeting at Brian, you know, you suck as a player, blah, 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 you're terrible. Just kept tweeting at him for whatever reason. So Brian Scalabrini one day was like, well, where are you? And I guess he basically said, you know, oh, let's meet up then if you think you're so good. And they videotaped it when they actually met on the court. Brian Scalabrini destroyed this guy. And this guy was a, a college player who was very good. But Brian Scalabrini was an NBA player wow. who was at the bottom. You know, Shows how competitive the NBA right, is. And destroyed this guy. Yeah. And that's the thing. Even the 12th man on an NBA team is still a damn good basketball player. and Because they're getting paid like it. I mean, they're yeah. working professionals. So, I mean, to touch base on the Michael Jordan thing, even if, if somebody's not aspiring to be Michael Jordan, but being a working professional, they're still fantastically talented. Because, again, this pretty good, you know, good college player going up against a retired NBA player who was, you know, a 12th man bench gun kind of guy just gets annihilated. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a, that's a smart know. distinction. And, yeah, like in... Obviously, different from the basketball now is like when when Brian Scalabrini goes out, he competes against people in real time. Sure. Because of the disconnect between the process of like the development and the making of movies and TV products, you can read material and you might say this isn't a few good men, but this is strong. Right. This may be like the twelfth man on the team, and that's where we're at now. Mm -hmm. And. Like that's so you've got to be within the range sure. of what it is, and like Absolutely. certain representatives, certain producers, certain agents, they have a certain you know Different. level at which right. they will operate at. It's hard to kind of quantify and illustrate what that is, but it's kind of like the you know you know it when you see it. Yeah. So I kind of have to use that more in six. Whenever I review material the first time, whether it's a referral or a query or just reading someone else's material objectively. I, I try to intentionally disconnect myself from the intellectual analysis of that 
and just go into like this emotional surrendering to the craft and to the storytelling and see if it touches me, moves me, connects with me in some way. That's why for me, at least when I consider new material, I have to be very mindful of my state of mind and what's going on in my life because I could very easily miss something sure. just by not looking at it through the right lens. And, um, but it also for me is the purest lens because it's not one that I'm trying to like analyze something I don't even know what it is yet or making up what I think it is. It's just like, convince me. Right. You know, I know I can identify good writing. I can identify good storytelling. I want to be surprised. I want to have my expectations subverted. I want to see unique or exceptional structure and great colloquial dialogue and all of that. And I know what that looks like and feels like and sounds like, but I don't know precisely how it's going to form on the page. Mm -hmm. So I just trust those instincts. And um, I think that's true for many people in this town. So. So writers out there, as they're kind of crafting their material, it's really just about getting to a point where they've garnered enough feedback that it's, it's in the tier that we've talked about, 12th right. man and up. And also it's something that they feel that they can live with this story potentially for years if they had to. Like Miss Sloan came together exceptionally fast. You talk right. to anyone, they're gonna say two year, like for me reading the script to being a movie in theaters was almost two and a half years to the date. Right. That's exceptionally fast. But he had to live with that story for those whole two and a half years. Right. Maybe at least two years, three months, because once the movie was locked, he was kind of done. And also the year before that, mm -hmm. thinking about research. So three, three plus years with that one story, and that was fast. Right. So when you write a script and you take it out there, you better say to yourself, I can live with this story and rewrite it for three years minimum, because that's fast. Right. And that's that's work in working with other people that are also going to have to love this story as well. So, I think that's a good little test of like, do you love this story enough mm -hmm. to go into it that many times? Right. Like Johnny Pereira from like first draft to the final draft, including all like you know, I'm sure he opened up final draft and went in and made changes of a meaningful level, at least four dozen times. Right. You know, and that's when everything was fundamentally working <laughs> after every one of those right. attempts. It was only getting better, but still changes were necessary. So that just goes to show in an optimal situation, three years and 48 rewrites is not a lot and very fast. Right. You better fucking love your story and you better feel like it's something that, you know, means something to you and just see if it ends up meaning something to other people along the way. Right. Yeah. That's a great way to end it. Um, so, yeah, be sure to check out Miss Sloan. Uh, it opens New Lit York, LA. November New York and LA on the 25th, the day after Thanksgiving, and then nationwide in Canada on um, December 9th. December 9th. Okay, December 9th. Okay, great. Yeah. I was thinking January 9th. That's great. No, no, no. Um, and be sure to follow Scott on Twitter. It's at SGCar with two R's, 82. And for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter at Scriptscribes. We're also on Facebook and, of course, the website, scriptscribes.com. Thank you, Scott. It's always a pleasure. No, thank you, Kevin. The pleasure is all mine. Um, and thank you all for listening. <laughs>